Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here, and this is The Doug Show. In this episode, I will talk to Amelia Gardner about her niche site, and it's under a very cool project name called Miga, which I'll let her share exactly what that is. And she started it at the beginning of this year, so January 1st, 2021. In October, she hit $946 with a combination of earnings from Ezoic and Amazon, mostly from Ezoic. Traffic is about 70,000 visitors per month, and she has 417 articles. So we're going to dig into the details and ask her all about keyword research, content, and the like. Thanks to Ezoic for sponsoring this episode, especially their new product, Leap. Leap provides everything from optimization features to diagnostics so that websites can pass core web vitals. It was built for publishers, and in fact, it's free to people that monetize with Ezoic. And it allows visitors to load pages instantly using Ezoic Cloud to serve new core web vital friendly ads using lightning fast server side Ezoic edge technology. And basically, Ezoic helps your site load faster and get those green core web vitals. And you can also simplify speeding up your site and cut the cost. So you can optimize everything from code to content using the features designed to eliminate the need for costly third-party technology and plugins. And basically what happens, and this happened to me, you try to add more and more plugins to optimize, to maybe minimize your CSS or minimize your JavaScript or something like that. And you end up with several different plugins and technologies, but basically you can just use Leap and generally, and this is the stats that Ezo excites, the average site is able to remove 3.5 optimization features, technologies, or plugins, saving them $250 per year when they're using Leap for free. Amelia, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me, Doug. I'm great, and I'm super jazzed to be here again. This is, I think, my third time on the podcast, so hopefully folks know by now who I am, and we don't have to talk about my backstory at all. We can. I, I want to let you get away with that, so people should listen to the previous episodes, but just for people that don't know you at all, what's the two-sentence summary about who you are and what you do now? I'm a former professional, mostly a half half time working online. I'm a mom and I am focused on building websites as my full-time gig. That's how I live and pay the bills. Awesome. And again, listen to the previous episodes. You can get the full rundown, all the backstory. We tend to go on for a pretty long time. So it's like joining us for a conversation. Now, Today, we're going to talk about the MEGA site. So first, what does MEGA, that's M-I-G-A, what does it stand for and what was the driver to start this case study? Well, I will point out that case study is, I'm putting out my air quotes, case study. It, I think it's a little deceptive in that it's mostly I decided to start a new site and on my YouTube channel, just chronicle the monthly exploits of the site. I'm not testing anything in particular to say, okay, you know, at the end, there's a result. Like I tested an, an age domain or this particular strategy. Mostly that's just what we call them on YouTube is anybody who is chronicling their site on a month on month basis. It gets called a case study. It's really just a website. Uh, as for the name, 
Yeah, on YouTube, people uh, historically call it, you know, site one, site two. And as a viewer of these, uh, I frequently get confused because was it site one or site two from last month? I don't know. So I wanted to call it something that stood out, something that was a little ridiculous because it's a play on, you know, making America great again versus making the Internet great again, which is what the MIGA stands for. And it came about because there was a handful of us last year in 2020 that decided that, the year was a dumpster fire, and this would be a great opportunity to take some action and start something new with the goal of having a great year. So that is where it came from, and that is why it is called that. We were chatting before I started recording, and you talked about focusing. And I know you've had some other, not necessarily case studies, but stories that you have shared on your YouTube channel. And you've had a few sites, you've purchased some. So can you tell us about some of the spinning plates that you have and maybe things that you've pushed aside so that you can focus on this site a little bit more? <laughs> How long have you got? I mean, <laughs> the goal was to go a little bit shorter today. Uh, historically, I have had my YouTube channel. So I have two YouTube channels now. One is dedicated to live streams like yours, uh, talking about niche websites. And then my main channel, I started a podcast and then I also have a portfolio of about 10 sites, as you said, some of them that I bought and some of them that I have started, and they're all in various stages of growth and learning. But really what I had to do in 2021, and the goal was just to uh, focus, pick something and just really go all in on it. Because what I was doing was jumping from thing to thing to thing, and I was never really putting my full attention onto any of these things. And I thought, okay, Let's see what happens if I just put my money where my mouth is and do 12 months solid on one thing and just let those other things sort of fall away. So, yes, I have absolutely neglected everything else, everything else, all the spinning plates. I don't even know where they are, but this project is the I guess the the fruit of that labor. How hard is it to leave those things neglected? Has it been a struggle? For me, uh, 100%, because I am somebody who I think thrives on variety. And that was one of the reasons why I loved having lots of things to do, because if I just didn't feel like working on one particular project, guess what? I've got 10 lined up right behind it. And so I could serve that part of my personality that, that likes to do different things all the time. But that that quirk of mine that likes that variety, it was almost like self-sabotage in a way, because I wouldn't be able to really get the momentum that I needed on any of these projects to launch them to where I wanted them to go. So it was like overcoming myself in a way. Okay. And I, I mean, I think a lot of, cause you're sort of newer to affiliate marketing and niche sites, only a few years, a couple years, something like that. Yeah. This is year four for me. Four. And I know as people are getting their footing and I did the same thing, but we might hear about people that are a few years ahead of us who have several sites and we're like, oh, that must be the right way to do it. But we're like jumping too far ahead without like <clears throat> getting the right experience. So I don't know if you fell victim to that, but I definitely did where I was like, oh, I'm going to do like five or six sites, try to work on them in parallel and then fail to like make any progress or it's so slow because you've spread yourself so thin. So you focus now, before we get into the keyword research and content and stuff, you clearly had other websites that you could have worked on. So why did you start a brand new one instead of working on one of those? 
the honest truth, again, this is one of my quirks is I, uh, I love starting things. I love the building phase and the growing phase. I think mostly cause I'm addicted to dopamine really like the pulling out the phone and seeing a new site, getting it, it, its first legs like that. I, I think there's a chemical rush in my brain that I'm addicted to. And you don't get that in year two of a site or year three, unless you've maybe done something different or extraordinary. And so there's something addicting about starting a new site and growing it, that there's that joy of that first dollar and then the first hundred dollars. And then seeing this baby that you created start to walk. I, I think I'm addicted to that truly. And I think that's probably why I started a new site. Of course I say, Oh, I, I, you know, I, I want to have a stable of sites that I can sell later and, you know, this, that, or whatever. But I, I truly think, honestly, that it's I'm addicted to starting new sites and that first year of growing them into something amazing and everybody being like, oh, wow, that is amazing. And I'm like, I know. Can you believe I did that? <laughs> Very cool. And I'll point people towards uh, interviews with Shauna Newman, who has a business model where basically she starts a few sites um, per year-ish and then will sell them off usually over six figures. So she always has like a few new things that she's starting so she could enjoy. She didn't cite dopamine, but I assume she enjoys starting new sites. Well, I have to think about it though. Like the, this, and it, it comes back to my whole like no look November project, just not looking at analytics. I think people are addicted to looking at analytics and looking, looking every day or multiple times a day to see their success, like right in your hand. There is my success. I can walk around with my phone and check it at the grocery store. Look, succeeded. I'm at the in line waiting for my kids. I can look at my phone. I succeeded. Like it's there and people cannot put it down. They just can't. I posted on my YouTube in the community tab saying that I wasn't going to look. And almost everybody was like, I could never do that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go a day. I'm like, you can't go a day, one single day without looking at analytics, like really and truly. Yeah. That's crazy. It is. And I um, I was going to say, like, at some point I realized it wasn't like a healthy habit. So I sort of tapered off and I probably, I don't think about it, but I probably only check like once a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit more, but not much more than that. And not too long ago, I was in a national park where we had like no cell phone service at all for multiple days. And I didn't even notice. So I've somehow tapered myself off. I have other very bad habits, but for... <laughs> I'm sure there are many. I'm sure there are plenty. <laughs> we, yeah, we drink a lot, but other, other than that, I don't look at my phone as often as I used to. Okay. Let me get it back on track and we'll talk about the, the no look November in a sec, but when you decided to start a new site, you had to figure out what niche how did you go about that process? Can you talk about selecting the niche and the keyword research? Sure. You know, at the time I was getting ready to pick a niche for the site. It was around the time when Morton was getting ready to launch passive income, his Passive Income Geek course and community. And he asked me to be part of the launch. And so I had access to his modules about niche selection. So I decided to follow his his process for niche selection. And it's really heavy in that section about uh, trying to find something that people are passionate about, something that there is an audience there, something that maybe is a niche that uh, other people won't be into. So it's less competitive. And so that is where I started just sort of following ver verbatim the things that he did and he showed because he has 
he started a site in his community and just sort of showed step by step how he how he did those things. So I just followed him, right, and did those things. And I think that uh, something I had not really thought of that much in choosing a niche before was the passion part, because I was not looking for uh, to do a niche that I was passionate about, right? I was I was looking for a niche that other people would be passionate about in the hopes that because I'm like the average Jane, that if it was something I was passionate about, then everybody would be in it. But if I could find a niche that other people were passionate about that I was not, that that I wouldn't have as hard a time uh, ranking for keywords and and getting traffic because I wanted to get traffic quickly. So that's what I really looked for was something that people spent money on and they were passionate about it, but it wasn't something I was into. So I was looking for people dorking out on something and hopefully a lot of them doing it and being will willing to spend money or even travel to do that dorkiness. And so those were really the primary things I was looking at in picking a niche for the site. Was it harder to find keywords because you weren't part of it? You didn't know the vocabulary and all that kind of stuff? Initially. And that's something that I've had to work on for 12 months, for the 11 months, 10 months, for the entirety of this case study, or case study, this project is I'm, con I'm constantly learning about what it is that people are, are interested in. And you do the HREFs thing, right? And you go and you you check other websites that are in the space and what are they writing on? And a lot of times for me, it's learning what it is that, what the topics are supposed to be. What are the silos supposed to be? What do these people actually want to know? And that was a huge part of the learning curve to be able to do this. Okay. And probably like anything else, like, if you, you're not interested in the the niche, but like anything, you, people start off at the beginning. So you just kind of started off at the beginning, started reading the other sites through competition analysis and such. And then basically you slowly became an expert, I take it. I think I'm far from an expert, but what I did to try and grease the wheels on this is I took up the hobby. So I wasn't into it and I wouldn't have done it otherwise, but I became, um, I, I, I joined this community and started to do this thing that people were doing and dorking out about so that I would have more insight and also be able to take pictures and, and, and understand a bit more what these folks, uh, why they were so passionate about it and what it is that they would, would want to take pictures of or to report back or to um, connect with each other about so that I could I could do a better job with my content. And and it's also something that my kids can also do with me. So it, it's become something that we actually do. Got it. Very cool. So you ch chose a niche based on you know what you just mentioned in Morton's course, which we could link up. And from there, can you talk about finding those keywords? And you alluded to it a little bit saying, you know, check out some of your competitors, use tools like Hrefs or SEMrush. So anything else? Um, and you could maybe talk about keyword search volume or not looking at search volume or the number of keywords. Certainly. I mean, there's so many strategies that can work, right? You say, okay, well, this is the way, you know, the Mandalorian, like this is the way. And there are so many ways. And I have actually employed multiple ways to find the keywords that I need. But lately, what I have been doing in the last probably two or three months is I've been looking for a seed keyword that I think would lead to other long tail, low competition keywords. And I've just been going to answer Socrates and feeding that keyword in there and looking for the long tail keywords and the specific long tail keywords I'm looking for are the ones that would 
be repeated many times. So people modifying that search for a different type of topic in the niche. So the example I use all the time is like, can rabbits eat something, right? Can rabbits eat spinach? Can rabbits eat carrots? People have this inquiry a lot and they wouldn't necessarily want to be on the same page. Like what can rabbits eat? I don't want to read a, a treatise on feeding rabbits. I just want the answer to this question. Can rabbits eat carrots? Yes or no? And then why or why not? And so I've been looking for those types of long tail clusters that could support a whole article. You know, it's not like the like what temperature is it right now in Atlanta? Like that doesn't support a whole article. You're like, oh, it's 27 degrees. And like, okay, great. I don't need a whole article for that. The snippet gets it. There's no point in clicking on an article about the temperature in Atlanta right now. So really it's, is there a long tail cluster that can be modified so I can do many articles on that topic, hopefully, so that Google would recognize that my website is an authority on what rabbits can eat because I'm going super deep into the topic on the various ways without just having one article. Because in the end, I'm not sure anymore that that 10,000 e 10, word ebook, that 10,000 word treatise on one article on what rabbits can eat is is deep enough anymore for topical authority with Google right now. Okay. And it, it sounds like because you're going after those types of keywords, or at least like pockets of keywords, writing the content becomes more of a system and you could use a template and just kind of plug it in. Is that uh, a, a reasonable I'm, jump? I'm outsourcing most of this right now. And so what I am able to reuse is the SOPs. So if I'm going to order the content through an agency, then the SOPs are really similar, right? You're just changing out the name. Now, the thing is, is that the article itself is going to be different every time because the answer is going to be different every time. So, you know, yes, rabbits can eat spinach. No, they cannot. And then the why or the why not or why it's good or why not or what this particular food has for them is good or bad. So it's going to be different. So I, I there's... There's talk lately about if you have the same answer to every question and just changing the primary keyword in it, like like if let's say the the answer was the same for carrots, spinach, bananas, and all the rest, and you could just change out carrots, spinach, bananas, and leave the rest of the article the same. I mean, historically, we would not have done that, right, at all. We would have said, oh, that's duplicate content. Google would recognize that as duplicative maybe penalize you for it, but other people are employing that strategy right now and are having success with it. I'm super conservative on it, but I do reuse the SOPs for ordering that particular content and then um, allowing the writers then to write the, the content as they as they will so that, because I just don't want it to be the same cookie cutter, the same, even though that might be working right now. I'm just, I guess, a dinosaur on that strategy. And Right. Okay. That makes sense. And there are currently 417 articles and you mentioned a goal of 500 articles by the end of the year. So how long is say the average content? And I know there may be different kinds of content. So can you talk about the word count for the content? <laughs> sure. I mean, in general, I try to get uh, no less than 750 words in a piece, I mean, this is info content answering very specific questions. So it doesn't invite a 5,000 word article. I'm looking at trying to serve the user with the information that they are seeking without then throwing on a bunch of stuff that they don't really want or need anywhere in the article. Uh, and in the hopes that it would, other metrics would be positive that they would see, okay, this is what my what I needed and then click over to something else on the site. 
and tell Google, hey, this was a good experience. But in general, uh, I try not to write longer than it needs to be. So some people say, oh, well, I want to have 2,500 words for for each one. Um, so I don't have that upper goal where it needs to be more than so many more than 750. A lot of the articles turn out somewhere between 900 and 1300, but I'm not particular about it. I truly don't care if it answers the question serves them. Well, if the answer to the question is in there, usually in the first three sentences, then I feel good about it. And I really care a lot less about what the rest of the article says. So long as the answer is very specifically there that they they can see it. Yes, rabbits can eat spinach, and here's why. Okay. And that, you know, a length of content is probably shorter than what some people are maybe used to hearing, especially when you mention, you know, at least 750. But as you mentioned, if people are looking for a quick answer, they don't necessarily want to read, um, you know, three times as many words as they need to just get the answer fast. You know, it's really interesting, though, the the debate about the, the old army ants method and about writing these big, long uh, posts and then Google passages, right? What, what's the Google, uh, army ants method? The army ants method is where you would assemble multiple questions, right? And I didn't coin this phrase. I've heard Morton talk about it. I've heard Sean Morris talk about it. So this is me just having heard about it. But let's say that your C keyword is about rabbits, right? And you want to write an article about what rabbits can eat. And then you look at, can rabbits eat spinach? And you think, wow, the answer for this question is just too short. It's 300 words. There's literally no other way that I can talk about rabbits and spinach in the same post. And I just think it's too short. So what people will do is accumulate related questions about rabbits eating spinach. Can rabbits eat spinach at night? Can rabbits eat spinach in the snow, or I'm, I'm joking, of course, but assembling those into one article so that you have a longer article and hopefully Google thinks, okay, there's enough content here. This is not thin content. I, I should send people to this question and then hopefully also get other rank for other long tail keywords that are short that most people don't want to write about because they're like, hey, it's too short. It's too easy. Maybe Google will just take your, your answer and put it in the snippet, and then people would have no interest in clicking through. But if you have something that looks like a larger guide, then um, you could get traffic. And so that takes advantage of the Google Passages update because Google will now just, just jump you to where you need to go and highlight it in yellow um, or even just pull that part out and show it to them on the results page. Um, and But the idea is that you could could take advantage of these short answer type questions and and not have to put them in a separate post. Okay. So just combine some keywords. So you have like more content. Yeah. The post. idea is okay. like one, one single ant couldn't carry a, a muffin, but a million ants could. Okay. Gotcha. Perfect. And anything else on content or keywords? Well, I guess the thing that I'm trying to do is less of the army ants method and more of finding ways to take those uh, questions that would have previously gone into an army ants post and trying to make them into their own post. Cause if you look at Google, you know, the machine, the algorithm has the choice of, okay, I have a, a very general article about what rabbits can eat. And the section about can rabbits eat spinach at night is hundred words versus a whole article that is dedicated to the question of can rabbits eat spinach at night and has a lot more in-depth content on that topic, 
So I'm choosing over here. I'm choosing can rabbits eat spinach at night in a whole article versus trying to make shorter answers and crush them into one post in the hopes that I can get that traffic over there, if that makes sense. Yes. And I was going to say, I run into a sort of similar decision point and or questions with the keyword golden ratio, because you could end up basically with super long tail keywords, very low search volume. It's really short. So the question is, should I combine these keywords together or not? And sometimes you should, sometimes you shouldn't. So I'm sure people could find it in other sort of content or topical relevancy architecture and ways to cluster your site or silo it or fill in, you know, whatever thing we're calling it for that specific architecture. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say that this is the way, right? Like this is not just the, the way, like there's lots of ways and this is just the current way that this site is being built. Perfect. And yep, it always depends. And basically the answer is pick one way, or this is the answer I give. Pick one way, see how it works, and then you could change it up and try the other way. And maybe that worked better during that algorithm update or not. So, yeah, you know, good luck trying to figure it out. I mean, you can you can just look at where the site is at and you could say, OK, you know, this is working or not. So you say, OK, the, the site had, uh, I think, in October really close. It was like sixty nine thousand eight hundred page views. So not visitors, but page views. And you say, okay, is it working or not? I mean, sure, great, 70,000 page views by the end of month 10 is awesome. But at the same token, it took 300 and some posts to do it. So you see, I think I saw on Motion Invest, there was a a recipe blog that's for sale right now that makes $20,000 a month. And I think that site has 200 posts, 200 pages of content. So um, who's winning here? Is this strategy really working? I mean, it sure it's great to hit seventy thousand, but somebody else is winning more than me with other strategies. And I, I I can't remember when it's publishing, but I have a podcast, maybe a video coming out where I looked at people that built on age domains and people that built on you know brand new domains and different monetization, right? So it's a nice mix and match. And, you know, an affiliate model will most likely earn more per page view and visitor just in general, not always, but most of the time. Um, So, you know, Shauna Newman from Skip Blast, again, she is doing an all info site and she was like, ah, yeah, grew fast, but the earnings are so much lower than where it would be if I had, you know, just went the normal affiliate model route. So yeah, I think her, I, I listened to, she's gone on a couple, she's on, been on the podcast circuit like lately. And I think she, in 12 months, the site was making a thousand dollars a month and for an ad site, that's awesome. But for an affiliate site, that's, it could probably feel disappointing. Uh, I feel pretty good with an ad site to have it up to a thousand dollars a month by the end of month 12. I mean, you know where it can go, but with affiliate stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's the sky's the limit if you know what you're doing. And people don't be discouraged if you're not at the $1,000 mark or whatever. So everyone's in a different different spot. Okay, let's talk about the sort of growth of the site and kind of walk us through the traffic trajectory. Um, it was a brand new domain. So I expect in the early few months, it was just you on the site. <laughs> That's true. I just, I I clicked over, I'm looking at my spreadsheet over there. 
let's see, month one, month two, and month three. So in month three, there was 1,200 page views. So I feel like month three is sort of where it took off. It was January was 189. February was 680. And then March started to grow. So it was 1,200. And then April was 1,600. May was 4,600. June was 13,000. And then July went to 26,000. August, it was 41,000. And then September was 61,000. Okay. So, I mean, pretty quick, like overall, but it's crazy to hear like the big jumps once you get past, you know, month four or five or so. Yeah. I was looking at how many posts I put up. So in the first month I did 25. So you think, okay, I, you know, my goal to get to 500, I'm definitely posting a lot more near the back end of this, of the year. Cause I started out with 25 and then February was 29, March was 40, um, April was 36 and May was 50. So it's not like I went and put up a hundred posts in month one or launched. I didn't launch with any content at all. So all of the stuff in the first um, three months, so January, February, March, I wrote all myself. And then April was the first month where I spent really any money on the site as far as content. Okay. Very nice. And kind of related link building. So have you done any link building or outreach or anything like that? None. Okay. And is that something that you decided um, for this specific project or are you not a link builder person? I'm I'm not a link builder person and I'm not going to say that this site won't doesn't need links because I think it does. And it's that I'm not going to pursue that in 2022 because I am. But up, up to now, I, it's not a strength of mine. And it's something that I feel like uh, is a weakness I need to overcome. I need to tackle this and to get better at it, I think, to be competitive in this space. Okay. Yeah. And it's um, what's well, easier not to. And when you're getting results by publishing content, it's easy to you know, make the decision, like, I'm just going to focus on this thing that clearly works because, you know, with link building, you could go out and work on link building for three months and spend, you know, a thousand bucks a month for the three months and a lot of time and basically have very little to no results in the three months. Or you may see great results. Like it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables in play. So not only that, but it's, it's not objective. It's totally right. subjective and there's so much that we cannot control. You say, oh, I did this work this month and I did this. And then Google is a an office of monkeys pulling levers every day. Something is different. You say, okay, I changed something. Can I objectively say that that change produced the result that I see on my site? And the answer is no, never, not a single thing, a single day. Do we truly know if what we're doing is 100% repeatable? Yep. And sometimes I was going to say, I had a friend who would launch two sites in the same niche. Like whenever mm -hmm. he launched a site, pretty much, you know, he tried to match things up as, as well as possible, as far as quality of content, amount of content, all that stuff. And some of them just would take off and others wouldn't. And it's literally like the same quality content from the same set of writers. And it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you don't even know. You think that what you're working on is a fresh domain that's never been registered, and that might not be true, right? Yeah. You think that you got uh, an age domain that is fully clear and happy, and that might not be true, just because the data is not available to you through a tool or, 
or through a Wayback Machine or Ahrefs, it, it, you don't always have control over these variables. Sometimes sites just don't go. Yeah. Sometimes or, they just don't go. Or they take a little longer. Like um, a site that I have, it took, the sandbox was like nine and a half months, 10 months, something like that. And then it started to go a little bit better. Um, I also sort of shifted the content over to more informational as well, but that makes me think about your site. Now it's informational. Now, is it a niche where you could add affiliate product reviews or is it something you're looking at? You know, I'm not pursuing that too heavily, mostly because I don't want to get, go down the road of relying too much on Amazon. There's probably 10 or 15 posts on the site that are affiliate that are they're they're primed to have um, to get affiliate commissions, and I link to a lot of those posts in the various articles. So it's hey, you're interested in this, and by the way, there's this other thing that you might be interested in. Just because I'd like to drive, even just driving people over to Amazon for the cookie, especially right now as we go into the holidays. But I don't have any real plans to go down that road because I don't want to invest. I don't want to spend the money on these things. I would want to pursue reviewing products that were expensive, you know, three, four, $500 and these products exist, but I don't want to buy them because I don't want to have them. And I don't want them taking up space in my garage and I don't see it as my passion. And I really am advocating pretty hard for people to do those things with the products that they are reviewing and recommending, because I think that's what Google wants to see. I think those types of reviews perform the best. And I, and I just, I, I, I have a hard time producing good content for products that I don't have and never used and would never use. And I know it's beyond the scope of what we're talking about today, but like if people buy the products, it's perfect for YouTube reviews, which, you know, if you can market in both channels, then you're going to probably do much better than your competition. Cause I mean, it's hard to do video. So if you can do it, you'll be able to put the video. Very few people, very few people are comfortable doing this like seeing their face and then editing videos with their face in it. It it was hard for me in the beginning and, and very few people, and we talk to people all the time about YouTube and they're like, Oh yeah, I would do YouTube except that I don't, I don't want to be the face of the channel. Yep. Yeah. I, I also hear that. And there's, there's a couple ways around it, but you, you kind of, it's much easier if you just put yourself out there, but you do have to get over that. Okay. So we talked a little, you know, monetization. So you're sticking with the ads and uh, shout out to Ezoic. So you're just using Ezoic for the monetization uh, aside from Amazon, of course. Yes. Okay. Anything notable working with them? You know, I put ads on really early because I, uh, and you know, some people say, oh, you know, don't put ads on because there's no traffic and there's no point in putting ads on because you only make two or three cents. And I like putting ads on really early because I like to see uh, what articles uh, emerge as the um, the best earners because then it guides what content I will invest in subsequently. So if I write a cluster about can rabbits eat spinach versus a cluster that is where can I buy rabbits in New Hampshire and one of those is dramatically more valuable as far as the RPM, then I'm going to invest in the content silo that is the most valuable. And if I wait until I have 100,000 page views a month and I have 500 pieces of content on there, I have missed the boat. And sometimes I don't know that that you can get back from it because Google recognizes your site as an authority on 
can rabbits eat spinach? So after that, it doesn't necessarily matter if you want to produce content about going to New Hampshire to get rabbits because you're a, a blog about what rabbits can eat. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a struggle too. you know, optimizing for maybe the easiest to get traffic versus how much you could earn. And I mean, I guess the, the earnings could shift too over time as advertisers, you know, shift their dollars or the interest of the public changes or whatever. So, yeah, well, I don't know if you remember the site, the one of the, the site that I talked about when I first came on your show uh, a year ago or year, two years ago, whenever it was, it was a case study, another site that I was just reporting on monthly. And that site was one of my first successes where I thought it was going to the moon, right? I, I was like super jazzed about it. It was growing month on month and then it stalled out. And what was interesting in it is that as Google was doing its updates, it got slaughtered by May the 4th and the content cluster that emerged it, it was the cluster that I had written the most articles on, and they were super articles, super easy articles to create. But I discovered that once they emerged as my top 10, that they were the least valuable articles, period. Like the RPM on them was less than a dollar, right? It was it was laughable how, how, how unvaluable <laughs> they were. But now when I go to post content to that site, it doesn't rank. It doesn't do anything. The only articles that rank are articles that match in that niche. Google has recognized that my site, in my opinion, is about this really lame <laughs> cluster. And so I think that I think that probably to resurrect the site, I will have to uh, either shift those articles off or take a cluster that's something else more valuable and go deep as deep to try and uh, change what it is that my site is about in Google's eyes. And I don't know how deep that would be or if it's even possible to rescue it, uh, but I'm not super motivated to go work on it right now because it makes a, a dollar per thousand visitors, $2. I think I think it's uh, the average is around $2 per thousand visitors right now because of that cluster. And that site has over 300 posts on it. Oh, wow. And it's, yeah, it's it's shockingly bad, right? But this is the shift. And I think that's one of the reasons why I pay so much attention to what is emerging as what is valuable, because I just don't want to go down the road again of creating a bunch of content on on topics that are not valuable. And then will I be able to get out of that rut to try to make more money on other posts? And I might be too sensitive about that, but I put hundreds of hours into a site that makes $2 per thousand visitors. <laughs> So let's talk about no look November. That's so, it. So don't look at analytics and actually like tell us about, you know, kind of your relationship with like, look, we talked about the dopamine already, but and you talked about the positive part. Now, one thing that while well, I've, I've been doing this for a little while, so I've checked my analytics and you know, traffic drops 90%, like bad things happen. Can you talk about some of those negative aspects of looking at your analytics all the time? You know, the thing that has uh, brought this to my mind and the reason I decided to take action in November is because the Mega site has been riding high on month on month gains. And October, even though October was a good month, showed me for the first time that there, I don't want to say weakness, but it was the first sign that 
things wouldn't just continue to rocket straight up from now to the moon forever. And I think part of it, it could be Google, uh, part of it could be some of the work I'm doing on the site, and it could be some uh, seasonality. But for the first time, I don't see the same growth that I did month on month for this month. And uh, I recognize how I feel because I feel less motivated, right? To get up, and a lot of people do this, and I was doing this too, where I get up and the first thing that I do is say, how did yesterday go? Right. So before I'd even got out of bed, the alarm would go off. And the first thing I do is put on my glasses, get on my phone and see how did yesterday do. And if yesterday did great, I was like, let's do it. Like I'm ready to go to work. But if the day was not as good as I wanted, then I would start my day filling my brain with uh, a, a, a something negative. Maybe I was missing out on that dopamine rush that that is like my morning cup of coffee to get me going. And have a harder time getting started. I would have a harder time getting to work. And I realized how addicted I was, how reliant I was on those statistics. And in the end, the fact that the MEGA site didn't grow as much as it did last month on any particular day doesn't change the fact that I'm going to go and post 500 articles by the end of November. But it, uh, I felt like it was it was making it harder for me to do those things when in the end it didn't change my strategy because I'm all in on my strategy. It didn't change my work and when I needed to do it, it just made it harder. And why, why would I get up and make my life harder? In the end, the, the site's going to do what it's going to do. And it doesn't need me to look every day. And I think people, including myself, just look too much. We, we don't need to be checking stats in the line at the grocery store especially when we checked them an hour ago before we left to go to the grocery store. It's like a habit, right? Like people who smoke or who have a thing like you have your phone and you look at Facebook or Twitter or whatever and like, oh, like, let me open up my phone because I have something like a minute. I'll just see how things are. And you swipe and it's there. Uh, and I just for me, it that only works when things are good. But when things are not good then it uh, it places artificial hurdles that I don't need. So I decided to say I was just wasn't going to look in November. And, the, and I announced it on the live stream on Wednesday, so just two days ago. So I, I didn't start until Wednesday. But it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. And uh, people are like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you know, and somebody says, I don't think you can do something. And I'm like, watch me. Like, <laughs> let's go. And that was initially like my thought, like, oh, you don't think I can do something? Well, then, you know, I'm like riding hurt on this. So I, I put it on my community page and I deleted Google Analytics from my phone. So I can't be tempted. And I will tell you, and I, it's embarrassing, actually, how many times I go to reach my phone. I'm like, oh, it's not on there. I better put this down. Uh, and and it's 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 uh, interesting as I as I go through this, I guess, detox. In a way, I'm a I'm an addict, and I see myself like reaching for it, and like the mental implications. And what do I fill that time with? I'm like, okay, I, I'm not going to look at my phone now. So my daughter and I baked cookies yesterday. It was just the. It's not that I would have normally spent an hour <laughs> looking at analytics instead of baking cookies, but I was like, huh, let's find something more positive to do. So we made chocolate chip cookies, and the day before, on the first day of my detox, we made pumpkin pies uh, or went for a walk or, you know, clip some bushes in the yard or something else. And I just, I don't like being so tied to that and having something that, that doesn't matter in the end, 
impacting my business and my personal life. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't just like depress me for my websites. It would depress me for the day. Like, oh God, yesterday wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. And then I would just feel like, like, yep. There's no point in looking at this. And when I posted to people on YouTube that I was doing it, a bunch of people were like, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go one day. Like, really? Wow. Well, I was going to say, I've never had the Google Analytics app on my phone. So that was like, I guess that helps a lot. You, you're going to do this for November. Yes. And then... What do you imagine the ideal number of times that you would check your analytics and metrics per month, would you say? I think once a week is probably better than looking once a month because you use analytics as a way to troubleshoot when problems are happening. Like if you don't look at a site, and this happens to me occasionally where a site that I haven't touched, I'm totally ignoring it. It's in the garage. And then you check and you realize that your ads text uh, is down or as an, and so you're not showing ads or the SSL certificate has been corrupted, which happens with WPX. I don't know why, but their SSLs just sometimes stop working and a new one needs to be reinstalled. And you realize that people are getting the message that your site is unsafe and they just bounce back. And so you see these like traffic gaps. So they give you information about when you need to troubleshoot those things. So I don't think every month, once a month is, um, is ideal, but you know, going two or three days with your SSL in bad shape is not great. But if you only checked once a month, then having a month of Google getting data from your site that it's unsafe could impact the long-term health of the site. Cool. So about once a week, that seems good. And I mean, if you're scheduling it or something, I mean, I could even see twice a week where you just pop in, make sure every, like there's no issues, like you said. Oh. That's a great idea. Like Monday, like Monday mornings are the days that I just do a a, a sweep. How are things doing? Uh, what articles are emerging? Maybe I'm getting ready to order content and I need to know what was good or what's not good or are these articles doing anything yet? Okay. Now, as we're wrapping up here, what are the plans for this site for next year? So you're, you're reaching your goals. Um, you're going to publish 500 articles. You're probably going to reach your revenue goal of $1,000 within 12 months. So what's happening in 2022? I think the goal for this site will be putting it into, I don't, I don't say maintenance mode, but putting it into this mode of just regular production. Because what I want to be able to do is have multiple sites in this status right in this stage but what i have not been able to do yet because i'm i'm i, I get distracted by squirrels and shiny objects is uh, i can only usually work on one side at a time so i need to make the transition and figure out how in my business and in my workflow to manage multiple sites like this so I don't, I don't want to have just one site that's on this growth curve. I would love to have several. And Shauna Newman does it, and she's got her flow figured out and a team figured out. And that is the goal for 2022 is, you know, to, to scale, right? 2021 was focused and 2022 is how do I scale this for what I have going on in my life? I have kids at home. We're Cub Scouts and this, that, or whatever. I can't sit in front of a computer 18 hours a day, every day, seven days a week. I, that's not my life. And that's not why I'm in this business. So for this site in particular, 
I want to figure out how to keep it on this strong growth curve and continuing to invest in it month on month consistently while also building another project behind it that is on the same trajectory as 2021. Okay. And for the kind of maintenance mode, what do you envision for this initial site? What I would like to do is instead of focusing on a number of articles to create or traffic goals as I want to put it squarely on something I can control. And I think what I'd like to do is just make the goal of an investing a certain amount of money into it each month, uh, which in, in spending money on sites is something I've been really conservative about. It's been hard for me to do. So for example, just to spend, let's just say I want to spend a thousand dollars a month on this site for 12 months and then see where it is. So instead of saying I want a thousand articles or 500 articles or so many hours, I think what it's going to come down to is I just want to make sure I spend at least a thousand dollars on the site. And then that could be anything, right? It could be link building. It could be content. It could be via Pinterest VA. I don't even know. Uh, but just making that my goal, again, it's something I can control, has nothing to do with analytics or anything else. So I'm, my mood and how I feel about it is not impacted by the site's performance. And I'm not getting out of this business. I'm not quitting. So if the site tanks tomorrow, you know, it's not like it's going to be the end of me. So I don't want to focus on stuff like that. Got it. Very good. Um, the last question, which I didn't ask you to get b beforehand, but do you remember just ballpark how much you've spent so far on the site, like cumulatively? Uh, let's see. I, I know through the end of September, the end of September was $5,100. And I think I spent 1200. So it's probably $6,300, $6,300 in 10 months to make a site that makes almost a thousand dollars a month. Okay. And the other part, it looks like you have everything right there in your spreadsheet. So how much cumulative revenue has the site pulled in? Well, at the end of September, it was $2,000. So it will be, it'll be about $3,000. It. It'll be almost exactly $3,000 actually. So I'm $3,000 in the hole right now. $3,000 in the hole and just a kind of ballpark estimate of the valuation of the site. I wrote a figure down here, which is probably a little generous, but I'm curious, what, what do you put the value of this site if you were to say put it on Empire Flippers or something? Uh, because of the age, I would only give it, um, you know, in the mid thirties, uh, times revenue, monthly revenue. So I probably put it 35, 35,000. Okay, cool. If I was going to try to sell it today off of, uh, empire flippers off of someone who had a broker and was taking a fee, I would list it at 35. Perfect. Yeah. I put, I wrote down 30,000. The average revenue over the last six months would be like not a thousand dollars. I don't know. Of what course it would be not. Exactly. But I think projected, you could project that because yeah. of the way it's going that in the next couple of months, it would continue to grow or at least be stable, which is why I would. And, you know, it's like you would only sell it to somebody who actually agreed with you because some people are like, oh, it didn't go to look average the last six months. The last six months is only four hundred dollars. So I would only pay 30 X times four hundred dollars. I'm like, that's yeah. fine. I just yeah, that doesn't make you. sense. Well, and the thing is, like, if you have a site that's like showing growth, even if it's young, like if you're in a growth trajectory versus a flat situation, that's that's totally different. Or, you know, if if your site's declining, like, good luck trying to get anything, you know, 
what you think would would be fair. So, okay. That's the thing too, is people say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so says that it's worth this or only, you know, so-and-so would only give it this multiple. And you say the fair market value of a site is what somebody's willing to pay for it. So if somebody's willing to pay $50,000 for this site, I mean, it doesn't matter what I think it's worth and what you think it's worth. And if somebody's only willing, the max that anybody is willing to pay is 10 grand, then, then that's what it's worth. It doesn't matter what I think. You ask me what I think, and I think this site at this time could be sold for thirty-five grand. Very cool. Well, any anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? You know, the thing that I just emphasize more than anything else is that success in this business, in my opinion, has less to do with what you know versus how long you are willing to commit to doing it, how persistent you are. I look at a lot of my uh, colleagues and a a lot of the people I esteem, such as yourself and other folks that are in this business. And it used to be that I, I, I thought that you guys were so far ahead of me that you guys knew so much more than me. And what I have realized in my three and some years here is that what you guys have on me is time. You guys aren't any smarter than me. Nope. (laughs) You've just been at it longer. And that's what I tell people all the time. I talk to people in their first year all the time. And they're like, you know, this, that, whatever. I'm like, I'm not any smarter than you. I've just been at it longer than you. That's it. Just stick with it. If you stick with it three to four years, you too could be sitting on a project like this, or maybe even be ahead of me because you wouldn't have done all the dumb things I did. (laughs) persistence is a key piece of the formula and yeah i was gonna say i'm definitely not smarter than you know you well i don't know how smart you are but you you do have glasses on clearly that you know makes a big difference but i have bumped into people who are clearly much smarter and much more accomplished but they're maybe impatient or they don't want to do like the boring work for as long without any sort of like visible results and yeah, if you're willing to persist and like focus, usually you'll figure something out. It may not be the exact thing that you thought, but you'll probably, you'll probably make it work out. Great point. I think, I think that's more important than anything, truly, like how, what you know, what uh, the money that you have to invest, uh, what your background training experience is. Like, I really just think it's time, time. Very good. All right. Well, people can check out all the updates. You've done one every month and I expect a new one will be coming out pretty soon. So where, where could people find you? I'll put a link of course, but where should people go? If people wanted to come and hang out, I have actually two YouTube channels. One is devoted to my pre-recorded videos about websites and whatever else I decide I want to create. And then I have a separate, much smaller uh, channel focused on interviews and live streams. And I stream once a week, like yourself and Alex, WP Eagle, just not even to do anything substantive. It's just like going to the pub and sitting around and chatting, like, how'd the week go? And what did you do? And how to hold everyone accountable and get questions answered. But truly, it's just to hang out. So if people wanted to come and hang out with other like-minded folks, then I would welcome them. Very awesome. Thanks. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Amelia. Really appreciate her hanging out. So be sure to check out her channels over on YouTube. She explained it well. And you can check out the other interviews I did with her to get more backstory if you want to you know, get the full picture. And finally, I have a question for you. 
you obviously listen to the podcast since you're hearing me say this, I was thinking about adding a third episode per week, but much shorter, much shorter. I have been looking at some analytics and I realized that some shorter episodes maybe would be a good thing to add to the mix. Some of the interviews are very, very long. And I know personally, sometimes I don't want to listen to a super long interview and I'd rather just, you know, check in for a few minutes. So you can shoot me an email feedback at doug.show. It could be very short. Just say, yeah, I would dig a, you know, 10 to 15 minute episode, an extra one per week. And I'm not 100% sure what it would look like. I may even test it out just to see how it goes. But if you are interested or definitely not interested, I would love to hear your opinion on the matter. Have a great day out there, and I'll uh, catch you on the next episode.